Welcome to the Open Adoption Project. We're the Nelsons. I'm Sean. And I'm Lynette. Today, we are so excited to share an interview with Michelle. We have been saving this interview for a while because we loved it so much and we thought it would be a great one to end our interview section of this season with. So this is actually our last interview for season two. And next week, we'll wrap up the season with one more episode. So Michelle is a birth mother. So she shares her perspective and her story as a birth mother, but also she is an adoption professional. And so she is able to shed some light on situations from both the perspective of a birth mother and an adoption professional, which is great. And something cool about Michelle is that she is also able to share her story and some fiction um, because she is an author and she ties in adoption to several of her books. So fun. And so her Instagram is at Michelle Thorne Books, and we'll have that in the show notes. But she is so much fun, and we just loved talking to her. We're really excited to share this interview. Okay, well, we are now on the podcast with Michelle. Michelle, thanks so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. We're excited to get to know you more and to hear your story. So just to get started, can you help us get to know you and our listeners get to know you a little bit? Yes. Um, my name is Michelle Thorne. I currently live in uh, Black Mountain, North Carolina with my husband and uh, the two children we parent. I uh, have been an adoption professional for the last decade or so and am currently transitioning into a career with user experience design. So that's exciting. Yeah, lots of love for adoption. I am a birth mom. I had my son, he will be 22 in March. So yeah, lots of adoption in my life. <laughs> uh, what are some of the things you guys as a family like to do? Oh gosh. Oh, play Minecraft. We are gamers. We are total gamers. So um, like for my birth, my birthday's in January and I'm like, let's start a family world. So we'll all be on the PS4 playing uh, Minecraft and create a world together and then it'll come back around eventually or whatever. We're super big Marvel fans, so we routinely watch Marvel movies. Travel, my kids travel really well, um, probably because they lived in China, but yeah, they got used to it, so they travel really well, so they're great to travel with. That's awesome. I love it. That's amazing. <laughs> All right, well, can you tell us some of your adoption story and just how things have played out for you with adoption? I had left my home at, gosh, how old was I? 18, 19. And um, I went to work at a Christian camp in uh, Mississippi. And I was very loved and cared for by the people there. But kind of the issues in my past that I felt like I was running from, um, of course, followed me. Uh, <laughs> and so I continued to struggle and use my same um uh, avenues of self-medication which were you know just finding love from a man um and that's you know probably en enough to say and I got pregnant in May June of 1999 and um I pretty quickly was like oh my gosh I I have to have an abortion like I just no one can know about this I mean I was living at a Christian camp and I just didn't know how they were going to take that and I grew up in kind of a a very legalistic church and um, maybe not all the people there were legalistic but I think what I got from there was legalism which is just basically saying you have to look perfect on the outside I guess and so um, of course being pregnant and not married was not perfect on the outside <laughs> so um, yeah I, I tried to try to get an abortion and um, I really just my story is that the Lord just stopped me like and I had a moment where I just knew like this is a person inside of me and I've, I've got to protect him and so I went to a maternity home at um, what then was called Mercy Ministries now it's called Mercy Multiplied um, they opened their doors to me and I went there for the duration of my pregnancy so I was there six months before I delivered, I think, and almost to the day. Yeah. And, um, so while I was there, I, um, I, I went from like a Southern Baptist to like a, uh, full on gospel. So it was like, I was swinging dramatically and, and just like, oh, here's like a whole other side of church. Like it was kind of like, I had just had all these uh, big swings happening to me. Um, I had had massive freedom and went down to massive structure 
right? As you would expect. And I was really resentful of that in the beginning, but really needed it. And um, I think that um, because I was swinging so big with like religiously, um, I guess in the Christian world, religiously, that when, as, as my son was growing in my belly, I was gradually growing in my heart. I was really like, you know what? neither of these can be used. So I've just got to figure it out for myself, um, which is kind of ridiculous because, I, but it works. I mean, you know, I just, it, I, it was kind of rough. And I, um, so, and let's see, I was due March 8th of 2000 and um, I delivered March 10th of 2000. It was a Friday um, and Fridays were good days because we got to go to the mall. And so I was kind of bummed. I was like, oh, I think I'm in labor. So they took me <laughs> to the, they took me, I was like, why can't I go to Sunday in this church? Uh, <laughs> they took me to the hospital and um, yeah, I delivered at 5.22 p.m. And um, I just remember like this, um, I mean, it was a, an amazing feeling to like give birth, but then it was like, they put him on my chest immediately. And I was like, how did you fit in there? And how did I get you out? Like, I was just like, whoa, like such shock. And um, they took him to the nursery then because I spiked a fever and they wouldn't let him stay with me because I just needed to monitor me. I was without him for 24 hours. And I think that was really hard because I thought I'm not going to get much time with him anyway. Like this is my only time where he's only mine. Once my fever was down, I was okay. Bring me my baby. And, um, Oh my gosh, this nursery worker, you guys was like, uh, well, you can't just have your baby come back and forth. And I was like, okay, well, right. I'm like, okay, bring me my baby. And they're like, but I don't know if that's a good idea. She said, I don't know if that's a good idea if you're planning on giving him away. And I was like, I need you to bring me my baby. Like, bring me my baby. So anyway, um, I mean, and I didn't have anyone in the hospital there advocating for me. So um, the ministry, which was lovely. I mean, they sent, I had a partner like who, who was there with me and stayed with me. So I wasn't alone. Um, it was another like resident, but you know, that's a, a resident in a ministry is not an advocate for what I was going through. Um, and I don't think that they meant ill towards me. I think it just, now we know, you know what I mean? So I had to advocate for myself and, um, and I did, and they brought me the baby <laughs> and I was like, okay. I'm like, they're like, you have to keep him. I'm like, okay, like I'm going to keep him. It's fine. And I think that that freaked them out a little bit, but, um, so I named him Eric, um, and he's given me permission to give his name. <laughs> So I named him Eric and um, yeah, I held him for the whole time and cried a lot. I will never forget. I'm a huge sports fan. And um, so I was discharged from the hospital Monday, March 13th of 2000. And all you Dolphin fans out there can attest that that is the day Dan Marino retired. And I watched Dan Marino with his wife and five children retiring. And I'm like, <laughs> like sobbing. It was like the ugliest <laughs> part ever. Because it was like, it was like an avenue for me to like get some of that grief out you know like and um and I and I needed that uh god bless sports center so um <laughs> so yeah so I I knew I wouldn't um I knew I would leave the hospital and then not really see him much after that um so I I will say too one of the most remarkable things that I experienced was when like sitting there looking at him I was like there is nothing you will ever do to make me not love you. Like I knew for sure I was going to be totally 100% sold out to love him well the rest of my life. And I think I didn't really understand uh, maybe the father heart of God or how to love well until that moment. And so um, kind of from there on, everything became about like loving him well. So it was like I was considering him in things, um, you know, and not, um, that he was present in my life. So my uh, openness agreement was, uh, I guess what you'd call semi-open. Um, no one talked to me about open adoption. And I mean, you know, it's 22 years ago. I don't know. I, I do know friends who have children around that age that they place for adoption who do have openness. Um, but I just didn't know how to do that or if it was right. No one said this is okay. Um, you know, I was even encouraged by someone not to even name him. Um, and definitely surely not to hold him. 
And I thought, how dumb is that? I'm already holding him. I've been holding him for nine months. I mean, I'm his home. You know what I mean? Like, why, why would I not hold him? I think it became this kind of uh, understood idea. You're going to move on with your life. You've done the right thing. Good job. And you can get some pictures every now and then, you know, and maybe when he's five, that'll be it. And, you know, when he's 18, if he wants to, you know, reach out to you, you know, are you okay with that? Like, yeah, of course I'm okay with that. Like, I, I felt like I've done this to him. I, I need to be available to him if he wants that. But I never got the sense that I was worthy of love and belonging in his life. You know what I mean? Like that I was um, going to be important to him. It was more like uh, you're the avenue in which he entered the world. You did the right thing. He's not going to have to suffer um, and, you know, move on and make something of yourself kind of thing. Um, and so I kind of held on to that idea for years. I'm not worthy of being in his life. He doesn't really he's not going to want anything to do with me. Um, I've done the right thing. You know, he's much better off without me, these kinds of ideas. And then I <laughs> wrote a book. <laughs> I had Cadence, our daughter, and then uh, my husband and I got married in 2004, had Cadence in 2008. And then in 2010, I had Deacon. And um, during those two pregnancies, which were pretty close together, a lot happened to me, like a lot started coming up, like that mama bear feeling of like, well, he is mine, you know, like, hold on a second, but he's not, but he is like, he belongs to me, but I'm not just his only mom. Like there was a lot like coming up and then, you know, people were celebrating this pregnancy with cadence. Like it was amazing. Like, Oh, you know, see God's giving you your own baby now. And, you know, um, just kind of like your, your story's redeemed. And, um, and I'm like, Oh God, no pressure, kid no pressure. You know what I mean? Like, but also there were people celebrating this pregnancy that didn't celebrate my first one. And I was really, really angry about that. I was really angry about that. I was like, Eric deserved to be celebrated no matter what he is created in the, in the image of God. He is a life that, that was created. He deserved so much better than, than he got, than I gave him, you know, these kinds of feelings were coming up and, um, and I really, really struggled. And when I, when we brought Cadence home, my husband, his name is Matthew. When we brought her home, I just was like, how am I ever going to tell her about her brother? How am I ever going to, how am I ever going to tell her? And he was like, just go tell her right now. Like it was no big deal. And I was like, huh? So I go into her nursery and I pick her up. She's totally asleep. Like she has no memory of this, of course. I mean, she's an infant. <laughs> and I just like, pour over her and tell her this entire story and I'm like again ugly crying I'm telling her every single thing probably way too many details you know I mean I was in there forever telling her the story and I think that was that the moment where I kind of um I don't know my husband helped me be brave enough to start to tell my story um and you know and speak that shame out loud right and shame can't stand to be spoken right isn't that that's a Brene Brown quote or something like that she says something like that and um so I started just talking about it not just with people who already knew but with people who didn't know I just started kind of feeling I had a friend who um three weeks before I delivered cadence she adopted her son Grayson and so I just you know was kind of like hey hey I'm I'm a birth mom like kind of like you know, pushing myself in there a little bit, pretty scary. Um, but she was wonderful. She, her name's Lindsay and she was just so wonderful to like, listen and to talk with me about, you know, Grayson's birth mom and the sweet, sweet girl. And man, I grieve for that girl for sure. And she did too. And that was really interesting to see. Um, I didn't realize that adoptive parents grieve for birth parents until then. I just didn't know that happened. Um, it felt more like a, you've given me a great gift. Thanks. Kind of not in a negative way, just in a, like they didn't really know how to express themselves way maybe. Um, so I didn't feel negative about adoptive parents necessarily. I just didn't realize, um, that some of them grieved, a lot of them grieved deeply. Yeah. So I kind of started getting my gumption, right. I'm starting to feel like, wait, maybe, maybe I am somebody, maybe I'm somebody important. So 
I had Deacon, uh, that's my son that I parent, Deacon in April of uh, 2010. And I'm like, listen, I'm telling my husband, Matthew, I'm like, I got, I got to write my story. And he's like, okay. And so I, <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm going to do it. He's like, okay. So I write my story of getting pregnant, choosing to place Eric for adoption. And then I have sort of like this little short um, chapter afterwards about kind of like moving on or whatever. And, and I think, you know, if I, that it was published um, March 10th of 2012. So it's been 10 years. I think if I were to write it today, it'd be very different. But at the time, it was exactly where I was. It was super vulnerable and honest. And I did it as a cathartic exercise. I thought I just, this is part of my healing. I had been in counseling on and off forever. Um, definitely no adoption informed therapist, but uh, therapies nonetheless. <laughs> and so I wrote my story. It was 55,000 words of just like, ah, oh, like raw, like I need to get this out here. And I thought that was going to be it. Um, but my friend Lindsay wanted to read it and, you know, my husband read it and then our, I asked our pastor to read it and, um, they were like, you got to publish this thing. And I was like, no, I don't need to do that. And they're like, no, 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 you got to publish this thing. It's, it's for, like, people just need to know, like, just need to see the side of things. I was like, well, I mean, okay, it might be fun. Like, why not? So I threw myself a party and a book launch party and had all my, invited all my friends and, and you know, went on Amazon and like got what were they print on demand right out of what's now Kindle. Um, it was create space at the time. But anyway, then people started coming to me out of the woodwork. And I had a good friend, uh, Dan, who Dan Simeon Gestalt Creations, who was like, yeah, I'll build you a website. So um, anyway, so now I have this website and I have this book and people are like emailing me like, hey, um, I'm adopted. Can I ask you some questions? Hey, I'm a birth mom. Can we talk? Hey, my um, daughter is pregnant. Would you talk to her? Like just out of the woodwork, people are like flocking to me. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I've got to do this with my life. I have to do this with my life. So um, I went back to school, finished my degree, still no contact with Eric or his um, parents. And um, I get my degree. I go work, start working at Bethany in 2013. And I learned, I mean, it was like a fire hose like learning about adoption, adoption issues, like all this stuff. And I started to realize, whoa, like I've really been pretty selfish, not just making myself available. I felt like not, not like so condemning on myself, but like, hey, you need to make yourself available for him. If he ever has questions you, you need to answer them. And um, so I wrote to his parents. I knew enough never to contact him directly. He was in middle school. That would have been so weird, right? <laughs> so anyway, I, I, uh, I sent his parents um, a letter in the mail. I stalked them like a, you know, I go hunt them down and find them like, um, and I, so I, I want to be super respectful because I'm just like, look, I, because of Hallmark, you hear those crazy, like crazy stories, and oh, she's gonna come back and want her baby or whatever. And I just, I, it, it was not that. It was just I, I, I want his highest good as far as it can be obtained, right? C.S. Lewis says that about what love is, right? And I just was like, I just want if he needs that, I just want to be available. So I just wrote them a letter and said, hey, I'm available if he wants contact, and here's all my information. And so that's it, you know, and uh, his mom uh, reached out to the agency that we placed Mercy and um, the, <laughs> the adoption specialist calls me and she's like, hi. And she's like, so you work at Bethany? Huh? I'm like, yeah. And so anyway, she's like, OK, I just needed to make sure like you were in a good spot and hear from you first and then I'll talk to them. And so it was all done handled really well, I feel like, because the age she went to adopted mom went to the agency agency contacted me directly they made sure i was in a good place they took care of their client you know like my my son's parents and and him and all of that and, and so for me i was really lucky because it doesn't always happen that way and it's not always that healthy so Anyway, she called me directly, uh, his mom, Sue did, and she was like, yeah, he doesn't, and she didn't say it like this, but she, it was basically like, he doesn't want anything to do with you. I mean, it was middle school. I, I was the weird part of his life. He was totally like killing it. Why would he need to like mess with all these emotions and stuff now, you know? So um, I just said, okay, I, if we can just stay in touch over, you know, email and um, I would love some more pictures of him. So every time I would 
email her, which was about, you know, twice a year. She would always send me pictures of him and tell me I was doing and gush over him. And, and I loved that. Um, I also really loved that she advocated for him. Um, when he didn't, when he, I, he wasn't in a place to talk to me or didn't want to talk to me. I love that she advocated for him. The whole reason I placed him was for someone to love him well and advocate for him. I had so much respect for her doing that. And so it was really, really good for me to see um, them doing that for him. So I work at Bethany for a while. I help as many women as I can. I'm like, I'm going to be here and advocate for every expectant parent I can. I'm going to make sure they, uh, you know, search out parenting um, and, you know, make sure that that's not an option before they choose adoption. I mean, my, my boss was pretty much like, Hey, try to talk everyone out of it. But if they're, if they decide to do it, let's do it. Well, so I'm like, I'm it. I can work for you. I can work for you. Like this woman is amazing. Anyway. So um, then uh, we moved to China and I'm July 2nd, 2019. I am on the treadmill. I'm at home. By myself, and I don't know where my family was. They were probably at a park or that swimming or something. Who knows? But I was at home. I was like doing laundry, and um, I and I got on the treadmill, and I I stopped the treadmill like 45 minutes later or whatever. And I I'm like trolling my phone as I'm like slowly walking, like yeah, I'm gonna get off this thing. But and I have an email with his name attached to it, and I'm like, ah! you know. So I read it really quick. And then I just sit down on the treadmill and just like bawl my eyes out. So he's like, look, I was, you know, I was really angry with you. I had to work through a lot of forgiveness. And if you, um, I feel like God wants you to be a part of my life. And if you want that, maybe we can like, um, you know, have a phone call or something. And so I'm like, of course I want you know, I'm like freaking out. I'm so excited. And um, so anyway, and, uh, 24 hours later, um, it was the next morning for me, and it was obviously night for you guys over here. Um, I was on the, on the zoom call with him for an hour and a half. And it was like, one of like, just the most healing moments of my life. Just like, I wanted to come through the screen and like hug him and touch him. And, um, but he was able to articulate some sadness, some disappointment in being placed, but also say, look, you don't. And I was like, I was able to say, I'm sorry but I placed you. And he was like, you don't have to be sorry. I've had a great life. I'm like, yeah, I know. I'm, but I'm still sorry. Like it can be great. And I can still be brokenhearted that it had to happen, you know? And so it was a really good talk and I didn't know how to end it. And <laughs> cause I was just like, I'll just keep talking to you forever. And uh, he was trying to watch like some soccer match and he's big into soccer. He plays soccer in, um, in college. So <laughs> it's like, he's like, Hey, are you on Instagram? I'm like, I am on Instagram. Um, I had gotten on Instagram like just a few months earlier to, to maybe a year earlier to um, stay connected with some friends of mine that I had met expats, you know, all over the world. So he's like, let's follow each other on Instagram. So I was like, this is a 19 year old boy's love language. He's telling me that I'm good. Like he does want to be part of my life. And this phone call has not ruined him. <laughs> so, like, Cause he did ask questions like, you know, why did you place me for adoption? And who's my father and all those kind of hard questions. And man, I was really, really glad I had done my work because um, that was, I mean, I had I had, there were some stiff questions and I had to really be um, in a good, healthy place to be able to answer them, honestly, um, and for him. Um, so we Instagram for a while, I guess a year and a half, COVID hits, and then all of a sudden we're in the same state. And he's like, I want to come see you for the weekend. And I'm like, okay. And at the time we're living with our um, best friends, David and Ginger, who we came here to see on a vacation, but COVID didn't let us go back to China. <laughs> We're it's a long vacation. <laughs> we're still vacationing. Um, but we weren't sure if we were going back or not. It was just kind of like this. Everything was up in the air back then. And so we, and we still had a whole flat over there, full like a three bedroom, two bath flat over there full of our stuff. So um, there were a lot of questions. And so we, we hadn't secured a place to live. So we, we get an Airbnb under the table because you weren't supposed to rent an Airbnb back then. So we like talked to someone we know. <laughs> pay her under the table and it was all this like she was like please come like I was like okay if they do I it just is what it is I'm like, like you, you need know, a place to live yeah so and just for the weekend like I it was just for the weekend for, so that he could come and say we could just be uh, like a family 
So I will, I think um, the, I don't know, the moment, like the moment is, so at this time he's 20 years old, so it's been two decades since I'd seen him. And I, he pulls up in the driveway and he gets out of the car. And I had said, I want to walk out to him by myself. So I walked out there and we just bear hugged each other and like our hearts were next to each other again, you know, for the first time since uh, in two decades. And um, I just, it just felt right. Like, it just felt like, right. That's all I can say. It just felt right. It just felt like he's, he's home with me, you know? And so we had, we had a good weekend and he met his, you know, half brother and sister and my husband and we had a great time. And, um, I was super nervous. I mean, I was like a basket case nervous. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, I didn't know what he would want to eat and we were staying in an Airbnb and like everything was shut down because of COVID. So like I bought like $800 in groceries or something crazy like that. Cause I just didn't know what he'd want. So I bought like everything. (laughs) And I was like, I think I was just still so like insecure, like, please love me, please keep me in your life, um, that I wanted to make sure he had a good time, and, and he wasn't, I mean, it wasn't really even a question for him if he was going to keep me in his life or not, you know, for him, it was like, no, you're my birth mom, like, you're part of my life now, like, he had kind of settled it for himself, and I, I was still feeling very insecure, so, um, Anyway, since then, we've seen each other several times. I was able to go out to his college this past year and see him play college soccer, and that was so thrilling for me. And, um, yeah, I mean, he's – I got to get him Christmas presents and watch him open them, and that was really thrilling. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I I call it a fully open reunion. So I guess that's what I'm in a fully open reunion, and it's really – it's really, really glorious. And I wish I had shared his whole life with him because I really missed a lot of moments um, out of my own fear and insecurity. But I'm so thankful that I belong to him like he belongs to me. So that's my story. That's oh, beautiful. <laughs> I'm like crying. <laughs> me too. It's all about sports. We just saw something and just got to let it out. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Dan Marino, I, bless you. <laughs> I loved that. <laughs> I've got to channel all those emotions into something. Into something, right? And I have had a lot of um, birth parents say, like, your book helped me really grieve. And I'm like, oh, but it's interesting because um, there's so many adoptive moms who are like, yeah, that was great, but I really want to hear about what happened after you <laughs> And so, I don't know, Eric and I were just talking when I saw him um, a couple weeks ago before he went back to college. He's like, are you going to write another book? And I was like, I don't know. Like, would you want me to? It'd be about us being in reunion. He's like, I don't know. I mean, you know, he's just kind of like, what are, I think he was just wondering, but I don't know, maybe someday. So a quick side question. So you have other books too, right? I looked you up on Amazon and it looked like you have a few. <laughs> I do. I do. So I think after I wrote Delivered, I kind of, um, and I I started working at Bethany and I was running a post-placement support group, which I'm a huge advocate of, very passionate about post-placement support. And um, so I wrote a journal, like a guided journal for for birth moms. And then I wrote another one. Um, So that's Revealing You and Being You. Those are all just, they're just for birth moms. And Revealing You is really like the first, it's kind of like that targets that first year after placement, like your new normal and all that kind of stuff. And then Being You, um, I think nine out of nine birth moms would tell you that that's really the the good one. (laughs) Being You is about um, the rest, like riding this train, how you just never get off this train and dating and marriage and parenting and siblings and um, you know, forgiving yourself and, um, you know, uh, belonging versus trying to fit in with, with them. And so anyway, that, I think that's the one that resonates the most, but the one that gets bought a lot is revealing you because usually like agencies will buy it and give it to people who have placed. So, um, then I wrote a book called mine, yours and ours. And it's about, it's really about the lifelong connection between birth parents and, um, their children and it's for it's targeted at adoptive parents or prospective adoptive parents just like um hey you don't have enough love for this kid and that's okay and they are going to want to know 
their birth parents and that's okay, um, or about their birth parents, maybe not know them, but know about them. Um, and just kind of helping them be prepared maybe for that and do it well, like be, be able to like, um, support their children and like the, the search, if there is one, um, or the connection, um, you know, if they, if there is one. And then I wrote a book called Pivot and that's really, I wrote it for birth moms, but it's kind of for anyone just about being your best self. And, um, I, I don't, <laughs> and then I have two fiction books. <laughs> this sounds ridiculous now. I'm like, oh, this is a huge list. It's amazing. <laughs> I, once I got going, I just didn't stop, did I? Um, so I got a contract with a small publishing house called Touch, po- Touch Point Press. And um, they my my fiction books, I was really kind of disappointed with, um, like, beach read romances and how they're, like, always hopping in bed in the first chapter or whatever. I was like, really? Like, this is so unhealthy. And what? And I don't want my, my daughter's growing up. She's a reader. I don't want to read in this junk. So anyway, I set out to read, to write kind of a counterculture romance. Like, hey, you don't ever have to, like, even touch each other. So my first book is called Both In and Now. And it's about a girl who is trafficked as a child. She doesn't like to be touched, but she um, catches the eye, so to speak, of a blind man, Kyle, and who, of course, uses his hands to see. So just navigating um, falling in love with each other without ever having any physical contact and what, like, and that that can so happen, and it's okay, and it can be beautiful and right and good, and just maybe hopefully empowering to some women reading it that you don't have to give your body over to anyone um, to find that deep and, you know, secure love um, and to be loved. Um, my second book, my second fiction book is both then and now, and it's about, um, it, I wrote it while my mom was dying of Louis body dementia, so it's really sad. <laughs> it's, it's definitely an avenue for crying, <laughs> for grief. It is about a, an adult daughter taking care of her mom at the end of her life. Um, but I, perhaps most, I, I'm still going because I'm really excited about my next book. It is coming out in April of this year. It is called Both Cleaving and Cleaving, and it is about a birth mom. And I have not held back. I have not, I have not pulled any punches. I mean, I really wanted to show what being a birth mom is like. So this, it's a birth mom. She's a social worker. Uh, she works in a group home and she is in a um, open adoption with her five-year-old daughter um, and obviously her daughter's parents. And um just kind of like some of the things she does she goes to a post a post placement support group as well and what that's like and um so I think I really kind of talk I talk a lot about adoption issues in that one she's fighting for um family permanency and um or family preservation. She's really fighting for family preservation by keeping families together, but she's up against this judge who has a negative experience from foster care, who's fighting for <laughs> um, children by splitting them up from their parents, right? And so they have this, these kind of like worrying ideas. And anyway, um, yeah, I'm really, really excited about about that one. I think it's going to be, uh, my beta readers have been like, this is the most educational book on adoption I've ever read. So that's exciting. That's really exciting. So that's coming out in April. What's the title again? Both cleaving and cleaving. So you know, cleave is a contronym. So it's a word that means has opposite meaning. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. That's amazing. Wow. Yeah, Yeah, I'm excited. (laughs) Awesome. Well, we'll probably put links to all of your books in our in the episode notes. I'm so impressed. (laughs) Great. Oh gosh, thanks. I think I just can't shut up about things. So (laughs) many. Yeah, it's a good writing has been really uh healing for me so yeah i just keep going that's awesome well is it okay if we jump in and ask maybe some more questions about yes. your experience yes great so one that i had as you were sharing your story um what were some of the reactions of your family and friends when you did find out you were pregnant right you mentioned that you were working in a in a place that probably wouldn't be super happy or okay <laughs> with that like what were some of those feelings what were some of those experiences um, I mean, I think the staff there was very gracious, um, at the, the Christian camp I was working at, they were very gracious and they helped me find, you know, the maternity home. They're like, you can't really stay here, but I mean, you know, cause it was a summer camp. I couldn't just like squat. Um, so anyway, they were really gracious to me. Um, 
I think there was a lot of disappointment too. Um, like, you know, better than that kind of thing, you know? Um, and I, I, it's, I gosh, what do I want to say? I think what I want to say is that everyone was as gracious as they could be, but most of my friends were my age and they were church kids. And so they were kind of like, Ooh, you know, like, I want to love you through this but like, they just didn't know how. So there wasn't a lot of, um, there wasn't a lot of negative reaction necessarily. It was more like that kind of, I know I'm supposed to love you, so I'm going to do that, but I don't know how to love you. So I'm just going to kind of like back off from you a little bit. <laughs> um, so Eric, my, my good friend, who's like a brother to me, who I named him after, he was uh, very disappointed um, at first. I think he was just really brokenhearted for me. Um, and I didn't understand that at the time. Um, as far as my family, I had just, I had left my home, so I wasn't really even talking to them. So I didn't, I don't know, I didn't even give them the opportunity to respond about it, but I will say, um, I mean, I'm back in a relationship with them now. I mean, my mom's deceased, so she died never talking about him, um, or my pregnancy or adoption. Um, and my, I mean, my dad who, I mean, he was a lot of the reason I left. He certainly never talks about it. Um, and my, my siblings don't talk about it. I have four siblings. Uh, my younger brother has a wife and she does talk about it. She's read my books and she's been really, really uh, sweet about it to like be very supportive of me. Um, and I think my, her husband, my brother, my younger brother is as supportive as he can be, but we didn't really grow up in a family where it was like, Hey, being vulnerable and pouring your heart out and then talking about it publicly, that's a good idea and it's okay. So I think, I think he does the best he can, but um, I, I, that's part of, the, that's a hard part of being in reunion um, because I, I'm so proud of all of my kids, all three of them. And I, you know, talk about them on my Instagram or whatever. And it's like, uh, I have family members who will like every post except for the ones with Eric included. And I just am like, uh, man, they're missing out. I'm pretty, it's kind of disappointing. So yeah, sore spot there, but that's part of that birth mom gig, man. That's hard. Yeah. So thinking back to placement, you talked yeah. about how you didn't have an advocate and how yeah. that's hard. And it's really wrong, right? So are there other things from that time in the hospital and from that placement time that you wish had happened differently in addition to that? I, I think I wish someone would have said, hey, if you want a parent, here's what this would look like. So they would, they, in the, in the maternity home, they did, or that's not what they called it, but that's, I was there because I was pregnant. Uh, it was like a home for troubled girls, which they would never call it that now. <laughs> <laughs> so um they did have a woman come and talk to us about like giving birth and like doing a budget if you wanted to parent but it was never it was like we're offering you things that we know are going to feel overwhelming and like you you could you're never going to make it you know what I mean so it was, it was I didn't feel coerced but I didn't feel like I could parent either you know what I mean? Like no one was going, Hey, you can do this. You can parent let's, here's what we can do. And I will, you know, get you connected to a local resource or whatever. Um, yeah, there was none of that. So, and no one, certainly no one was talking about open adoption with me. Um, once I decided on adoption, I was set. I didn't change my mind back or like I was, I knew that's what I was going to do. I, I, and that's what I did. Um, so I feel like once I had really, uh, decided on adoption, I wish someone would have said, okay, well, look, it, it doesn't have to look like this. It could look like this or this or that or the other or whatever. Um, so I think I wish that had been different. That's part of why I went to this field of, you know, working in adoption was because I wanted, I wanted to say to women, you don't have to have that family in the hospital. It's okay if you want to be alone with your child. And, you know, it's okay if you want to have visits with him more than one a year. It's okay. You know, these kinds of things like, um, that no one, no one was telling anyone at the time, you know, I just really wanted to stand up for some women and, and normalize their process and help them celebrate their child and name your child and hold your child and stay connected and stay healthy and like all these things. So 
yeah, I think there's a lot that went wrong. I do think in the last, you know, I guess now 22 years, there's been a lot of research done and a lot more adoptees are speaking up. And I feel like we've really got to listen to adoptees in this thing. Man, they are the voice that we need to hear. And and I have learned so much about being a healthy and loving birth mom by listening to adoptees and what they needed and didn't get or what they need aren't getting and all that kind of stuff. So um, I think we know more now. So hopefully our practice is being informed and we're doing better, but back then it wasn't great. Yeah. So um, you mentioned that it was semi-open in the beginning. Just thinking back, sorry, just for, for clarification's sake, did you get to pick his family? Did you ever meet them? Like, at, it was, oh. where is there like a placement? Yeah, that's probably okay. important, isn't it? <laughs> well, that's okay. <laughs> yes. So I went through, okay. So originally, um, his story is that he was going to be placed out of country. And um, I met the family and I was able to like um, hand him to them. And my, in when the book, when I write about handing him to, the family, I was handing him to this family that he was supposed to go to. But at the time, um, if you remember your adoption law, um, the Hague Convention was introduced, right? And it was uh, President Clinton had, he was born in March of 2000. It wasn't till October 2000 that President Clinton signed it, but then it had to be ratified and implemented. And he was going to be well on pushing three, four years old before it was implemented. And the country he was going to, said we we're not going to accept him until it's fully implemented in the united states and so that family we grieved it together they wrote me this lovely letter i wrote them back it and it just wasn't it just wasn't god's plan i mean you know there was no way to make it happen and so uh he stayed in foster care and went well not foster the interim care home whatever um this was a sweet little grandma um and went home two days after Christmas of 2000. So he was in there for a long time. But in the meantime, when October comes and they're like, look, it's not going to happen. So they sent me a box of books and I go through all the profile books, which back then were like scrapbooks, you know, there was no Shutterfly or anything slick. It was like these bulky (laughs) books. And um, there was a girl that graduated from the same high school I did. And I was really interested in her. But then I was like, gosh, that'd be weird to have him in Tulsa. Like, I don't, I wouldn't want anything to like, across the streams I don't know um and then I found the family that I adored and I turned one of the last pages and they were huge University of Texas fans and I am an Oklahoma singer through and through and I was like (laughs) nope truly that truly happened that is the true story I was like nope nope I am not I'm not going to give him to a Texas fan sorry um so, so um anyway I didn't like any of them. I sent them back. They sent me the second box of books. They're like, look, this is kind of all we have right now. So like, you got to find somebody. And I was like, and I didn't like any of them. So then the adoption lady at the time at Mercy called me. She's like, look, I do have this family that's in North Carolina and they have adopted from us before. And um, they just called the other day and I just thought, you know what? I wonder, I wonder if they would just be interested, you know? And um Anyway, and so she told me a little bit about them. Steve and Sue, that's their names. They came to Charlotte. I was living in Charlotte at that time. Uh, They came to Charlotte to meet me, and I just, I fell in love with them immediately. I fell in love with her, like, sense of, like, mama bear, and she she was strong, and she was organized, and she was just, like, sweet, and I fell in love with his gentleness, Um, and I, I just thought, no, I just knew. I was like, these, these are the people. Just these are the people. So he, I did whatever. I don't remember what I had to do by that time. I mean, I'd already signed paperwork, but I don't, I had to do something, some other paper. And so anyway, and he, um, they said yes. And I said yes. And they went home. He went home. Yeah. Two days after Christmas in 2000. Um, and that was a rough time for me because up until then I was his only mom. So a lot of, um, people in domestic committed adoption, birth moms, they're only the only mom for like, you know, a few right a few days and I had had nine months even though he wasn't living with me um and yeah that was a it was a that was a really rough month for me but um it got better that's a roller coaster wow yeah it was a roller coaster 
So how do you think your experience of placing Eric shaped your perceptions of parenthood with your younger two kids? Oh my gosh. Well, one thing about being in an open adoption is like, they know my business. Like I, I'm not hiding anything from them. (laughs) They know mommy had a baby and it was not daddy's baby. And then now that they're old enough to kind of like, we're like, we've definitely had sex talks at this point. They're like, Whoa, you did that with somebody else. And I'm like, uh, huh? you know, and they're like, Oh, ew, you know? <laughs> um, and so just like figuring all that out, like they don't, there's not, I guess it feel, it shaped my parenting in that I am just so much more open and vulnerable about like my own shortcomings and, and fears. And like, I've been honest about my sadness you know, with Eric, with them, we celebrate his birthday every year. Um, and you know, they were little, they didn't really know what they were doing or where they were doing that. But, um, because I had started telling cadence, you know, my story from the beginning, of course, I also told Deacon. And then when, when Eric manifested right in our lives, I mean, he was just as much theirs as he is mine. He, they were so excited. There was no there's nothing like hidden or any shame associated um, for them and anymore. Like I didn't have, there wasn't a big reveal. It was just like, he's always been part of our family and now he's just present. He's just here with us. We can touch him and hug him. So um, I think that was uh, scary, but super, super helpful. And um, I, I think too, I just, I don't know. I think, I think that's probably the biggest way it shaped my parenting, just that vulnerability with them of making mistakes. I think that's a good lesson to learn. I mean, I can't say that because I don't know like at all how you experience or feel it, but to be able (laughs) to be vulnerable and open and that kind of place for your children, I think that it's, it's a healthy thing for them to see that, wow, you know, everyone's not perfect and everyone make mistakes and that's okay. That's part of this journey called life. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's been it's been really good. I mean, you know, I, I think that um, I wouldn't have been I, I, I really don't I really don't know. I think I would have had the sense of like, I've got to be uh, not perfect, but like, you know, in their eyes, I am perfect, you know. And so part of, you know, perfection, this side of heaven, right? Nobody's perfect. But part of like being made new is that we are making mistakes and we are saying we're sorry and like sometimes we gotta lean in and our consequences follow us for the rest of our lives but we can still show up and do the right thing today and so I think that's a good lesson that they are learning and keep learning (laughs) through me yeah Yeah, I think those are great lessons to learn for sure um so you have been at least for the last decade or so uh an adoption professional um and part of the adoption triad or community for 22 years, right? Uh, A lot has changed. A lot has progressed. Um, But what would you say are some of the challenges still facing the adoption community and maybe share some of your thoughts on how we might address some of those? Um, Okay. Well, I'm just going to be real honest. (laughs) That's good. I was going to be real honest. Um, I think there are too many people trying to fill holes still. Um, Too many prospective adoptive parents coming in going, I just want a baby or I can't have a baby, so I want one. I'm not saying that's not a good place to start, but if you finish there, like, I mean, there are times where, okay, let me give you an example. This, and I can talk about this because this is not a client. I got connected to a girl in my local community. So outside of my work, and this girl was like, hey, you're a birth mom. I'm thinking about doing this. And I was like, great. Let's go get pizza and talk about it. She's 18. She's precious. I was like, okay, are you sure you want to do this? You know, I do my whole thing just because that's me. And, um, she's like, yeah, this, this family though, I don't know. They're like, they're kind of putting a lot of pressure on me. They want me to play this certain music and their voices to the baby at night while I sleep. And, and I'm like, wait, what? And she's like, yeah. And, and I'm like, okay, hold on just a second. <laughs> I was like, I, uh, well, how does that make you feel? You know? And she's like, it just makes me feel weird. And so, um, I was like, I really think that you should consider whether this is the right family for you or not. So she might, she had counselors. Like I was not her counselor. She had a, you know, a professional counselor she was seeing and she was able to go back and talk with her counselor 
and then talk with the family and say, hey, I don't think this is right. And and the couple was pretty upset. And it was like, we've been wanting a baby so long and we can't have children. And just this kind of like language and this kind of idea that like I'm entitled to a baby because I want one is really terrifying. Um, because it not only just you're setting yourself up for failure, it is an idol that you're asking God to breathe into. And that, my friend, will sink you so fast. So that's it's it's scary, too, because then you're out. I mean, it's the, the baby. No pressure to fulfill mom and dad's whole lives and dreams and hopes. You know what I mean? Um, we, no one should treat their children like that uh, at all. Um, and so I think that's one of my biggest concerns is that there's not, um, there needs to be better, more, I don't, I don't know what the word is, but like the kind of like raw education of like, this is about a life and it matters and it's not yours. This is about this child's life. And if what's best for this child is for his or her birth parents to stay involved, even if that's scary then you're going to have to be in a place where you can do that or you don't need to do it at all. Um, so that's one of my big things is that just the, you know, put, filling a, filling that hole for a baby or whatever. Um, eh, that just, I think is, it's still happening a lot. It's still happening a lot. Um, the idea that there are all these advertisements for like, Hey, we want a baby. Or if you don't want your baby, you know, my husband and I want to adopt or we're home study ready. Like that kind of thing, that kind of like advertising to me really, really speaks to, we're not interested in any relationship. We're not interested in anything really hard. We're like, you know, again, we're just trying to, we just want a baby. And I just, I think that there's a lot that we should just not be able to do that. I mean, well, that should just stop. It should just stop. <laughs> just, I'm like, ah, um, yeah, so that's, I think, one of the big things still in the adoption community. The other thing is that um, I'm not saying that I agree with every birth mom, adoptive parent, adoptee out there. But just speaking to the adoptees, when they're brave enough to talk about their experience, and there are people, adopted, adoptive parents, birth parents, whoever out there, who publicly shame them for having an experience like to me that is horrifying like we should be in a place where we can hear these people speak and hear what they have to say without it being an attack on our person you know or our way of life or our idea it's like we should be able to just hear the experience and, and consider it and I know not everyone's that healthy but we certainly shouldn't uh condone you know this kind of, there's there's a lot of hate going on in the internet right when an adoptee speaks out and said oh that's that's not that great or my white parents were racist and or whatever and people are like well at least they adopted you you know or at least they gave you home or whatever like that is there's so much like fear and like people taking things so personally because they're afraid what does it mean if adoption isn't perfect isn't the right answer isn't the you know you know it's like it it they can't handle their ideals being challenged and I think that's a big problem I think we should all be shutting up and listening to a lot more adoptees and I think there are some times where we can agree to disagree but we can still listen you know what I mean um yeah I think those are my two big things listen yeah, to adoptees right. and don't just get a baby because you want one as adoptive parents, we have to regularly kind of check our ego at the door, right? And just yeah. make sure, like, at the end of the day, everything that we're doing is for our kids, right? And yes, it should be. It, yeah. it needs yeah. to be. Yeah. And sometimes maybe in my ideal or what I used to perceive as an ideal isn't the right thing. And that's right. totally okay now that I understand the way that I do. But you, yeah. It, yeah. it takes time to get there. Yeah, for sure. And I think on the birth mom side of things, I mean, there have been adoptees that have hurt my feelings, but I needed to hear what they had to say. I needed to just have that information so that I could check myself and go, am I doing that to him? 
have I responded in a way that he could interpret what I've said or what I've done or not done in this way? And and it's been super informative to just stop and ch- yeah check myself and go, wait a minute, this is not about me. And this is not about his parent. This is about him. Adoption is child should be, should be child centered, child focused the whole time. And so we as parents, birth or adoptive, we got to show up and, and choose that every single moment, right? Wait, this is about him. What's best for him? How do we love him best? You know, and even talking with birth parents sometimes who like their, their child is like, I don't want to, you know, I don't want, I want to close our relationship for a while or whatever. And how, how hard that is. But if you can just stop and think outside of your own feelings and go, okay, if this is what they feel like is best for them, then we can celebrate that they're strong enough and feel loved enough and safe enough with us to ab- to say that to us. And then we can celebrate that. And what can we be doing in the meantime while we're disconnected? What can we keep doing to stay connected to them? Let's write them a card every month. Let's still buy them birthday presents. Let's like whatever it is that you can do and you can tuck it away in a little treasure box. And if and when they come around, they're going to know you were still there present, thinking about them, loving them, trying to stay connected. Um, and that's going to mean a lot, you know, that's going to be a lot to them instead of like, Oh, well you ruined my life and I was so mad at you and I couldn't, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. hang on a second. That's about you. Let's go back to, let's go back to them. Let's go back to the adoptee. So. Oh, I love that so much. So when you were talking about when you and Eric had reunification, Mm. um, the first time you talked, correct me if I'm remembering this wrong, but he had some grievances, right? Some things that had been hard for him that he wanted to talk about. And I love, as you're sharing this, just thinking back and saying, wow, yeah, and you listened and you were open and able to hear that and build this stronger relationship as you listened and learned his perspective. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, I really, I got to say, I had to be, I I was really connected with a lot of birth moms for, I mean, for the last decade, I've been pretty connected with birth moms and I've been... um, definitely doing my own work on my own, right? My own therapy. So I feel like, you know, this kind of communal healing and also individual healing and pursuing all that, just being, I I wanted to be ready at any time if he had something hard to say, because he didn't have to thank me. You know what I mean? They don't, they shouldn't have to thank us. They shouldn't be expected to thank us. He might be like, screw you. I hate you. And I needed to be in a place to hear that because he needed to say it to me is what I felt like. I felt like if I can just be present for him, um, it'll be more important. And I do think that, um, I mean, he's going to feel it anyway. So why, why can't he feel it with me? You know, and he was hurt and rightly so he had every right to be hurt. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm really thankful that I was in a, a position to, to hear him. I do think that, because I just am a hundred percent me as much as I can be that he's been able to be a hundred percent him. And, you know, we've had some really, really good talks. He's told me some things that I think probably he hasn't told his parents or many people. And, and I treasure, I treasure every little thing he tells me. It's just, I just soak it up and savor like my moments with him because it's, they're just such a gift, you know, we have to live without them at all. I mean, those moments, any moment I get, I'm just like soaking it up. <laughs> Wow. I mean, your story is fantastic. I love the way you articulate your feelings and lessons that you've learned. Is there anything else that you would share as we're wrapping up as kind of some maybe parting thoughts or final words to people that are listening to this podcast? Uh, Well, I mean, I guess I would reiterate like to whether you're an adoptive parent or a birth parent to keep your keep your focus on your child and loving them well. And um, I I do want to say one of the biggest things I learned in um, (laughs) <laughs> in working adoption is sometimes we we can both say I love you but mine might be um so for example I might say yes my love has four right angles and straight lines and you might say oh mine does too but mine's a square and yours is a rectangle right so we can like both be passionately love the same child and it could look a little different and that's okay right so that that our children have room for all of our love and so we can keep it child-centered, child-focused, and not have, um, yeah, stop thinking of ourselves or having any sort of, like, I don't know, feelings of competition or any, like, there's no competition. Like, they're just, like, there aren't competition between the children in your home. You don't, 
Like, you know what I mean? Um, okay, so that's one thing. I think the other thing I do want to say is that there are birth parents who are listening to this and you need a place to connect um, or a post-placement support group or need to get connected to one. Um, you can email me at michelle at michellethornbooks.com and I will get you connected to one either in your area as best as I can um, or a virtual one. A lot of them are virtual right now. So um, post-placement support is super important. It's very, very hard at the beginning, but man, you're going to be glad you did it. So yeah, that's it. Yeah, we, we fully agree and support that idea too. So we'll, if you're okay, if we can put your email address in the show notes. Oh, sure. Um, and maybe we'll, we'll tag you on Instagram as well. So maybe that's an avenue that they can connect with you as well. Yeah, good. Well, Michelle, thank you so much, so much for sharing and for being on the podcast with us. Uh, thank you guys. It's been really great. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the open adoption project. And again, to Michelle Thorne, thank you so much for all that you shared with us and just for being so much fun to talk to. Having our interview with Michelle, it was one of those things where like my face hurt afterward because I was just smiling so much. She is just one of those people who radiates this life and joy and being around her was just a true pleasure. We really enjoyed it. And I really was smiling so much that my face hurt at the end. And obviously it wasn't all like happy stuff that we were talking about, but she is just such a great person. I loved talking to her. She's just really outstanding. Uh, a couple takeaways. One thing that I really liked was that she was very adoptee-centric, that we really need to focus on the adoptee, the, the child. Yeah, and not only did she say that, but she practices what she preaches, right? Where she had her reunification with her son, and he had some grievances he wanted to talk about, and she was open to hearing that. And what an important way to build trust and connection in that relationship, right? I thought that was really just so neat that she doesn't only talk the talk, but she walks the walk. Yeah, I really appreciated when she was ready to reach out and have that relationship. She also recognized and identified that, you know, just because I'm ready doesn't mean that he'll be ready. But I want him to know that I'm here and that anytime that he wants to, I'm available. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I also loved how she was advocating for post-placement services for birth parents. That's such an important thing in our community. Yeah, and she mentioned this, um, and I think I'll highlight this. She said it's really, really hard right after placement. And from our personal experiences and, and experiences of friends that we've seen, it is difficult right afterward to want to receive that counseling or that support but it is also really, really beneficial. And so I think that as, as part of the adoption community, if we can keep bringing that up and keep that in the center of our conversation, um, that hopefully it will become more and more natural. And also options counseling. I loved how she talked about how when she has worked with expectant parents who are considering adoption, her first thing she's working on is really making sure they understand all of their options and essentially seeing if she can talk them out of placement and see like, is this really what you want to do? Yeah. And right. Ultimately expecting parents are going to choose whatever is best for them and their child. And we should be really supportive, whatever that choice is. Yeah. I think that's a really healthy way to approach it too. There's so much coercion and there's a lot of things that happen that shouldn't in the adoption world. And I just think that's a great practice to ensure that, you're really providing the care that you can to expectant parents and helping them, empowering them to make the decision that is going to be right for them and feel right to them ultimately. Yeah. And I mean, right, right at the end of the episode, she kind of said it, says it how she feels it, right? That just because you want a baby doesn't mean you should have a baby. It doesn't like, mean you're entitled to one. Yeah. 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 And that baby is not going to fill a hole that is created by infertility or and i just like how, you know how she talked about putting how much pressure that that puts on a, a child. child yeah how that's really not a healthy way to treat your child either yeah. yeah yeah she's just so wise i loved talking to her i loved all of these thoughts she shared they're really important things for all of us but especially adoptive parents on this topic that we're talking about now 
to consider and think about as we're trying to make sure we're doing right for our kids. Yeah. Why am I adopting or why am I interested in adoption? Mm -hmm. Um, That's a really important question that you have to think pretty deeply about. Yeah. Awesome. And also just driving home that point that in adoption, we all need each other, right? And adoptees, you aren't going to be enough as their adoptive parent. They're going to need connection to their roots, to their birth family and their heritage. And however that looks in different situations, just such an important thing to remember that we need each other. All right. Well, again, thanks to Michelle. Thanks to each of you for listening to this episode. And we'll be back next week with our last episode for season two. I can't believe it. Mm-hmm.